Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me your question to pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, if you have a Bible-related question, you can email it to me at pastorstevendbc at gmail.com. In this episode, we will once again be looking at three Bible questions, so grab your Bibles before we get started. Now, for our first question for this episode, Pastor, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible, or is this something that comes from another source? Again, let me read the question to you, Pastor, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible, or is this found somewhere else? This is a good question, and in order for us to answer it, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Revelation, chapter 6. Of course, before we look at this in detail, in short, we do know that the idea of the apocalypse, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and things like that, they do come up in terms of the titles or the just the general information about them. It does come up in various settings, so it's a good question to ask ourselves. Is this a biblical concept, and if so, where is it? So the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, sometimes it's just referred to as the four horsemen. We actually find this in Revelation chapter 6, and it's in verses 1 through 8. Now as we begin looking at it, if you're not familiar with Revelation or just need a refresher, uh, context always being king, if you will, in the book of Revelation, one thing to remember, of course, is that the scenes sometimes are in heaven and sometimes they're on earth. But in terms of the book's structure, what's also helpful is Revelation chapter 1. We think of that as, of course, being John on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there. He receives, if you will, a vision of the glorified Jesus Christ, and so we see that in Revelation chapter 1. And then in chapters 2 and 3, what you have is the letters to the seven churches. So John records those uh, for us in Revelation chapter 2 through 3. But then, as you notice, as I was referring to a moment ago, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, After these things I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. So in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, you see where we'll transition to the heavens, in other words, taken up into heaven itself. And then John records in chapters 4 and 5 the scene in heaven. And basically what you find in chapters 4 through 5 is John sees 
the Lord himself uh, as best he can described uh, here in chapter 4. And then it switches to a book that has seven seals on it, and that's in chapter 5. And no one can open up the scroll that is sealed, but we do find out that there is one who is worthy. And so, for example, in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So only the Lamb, which we know is Jesus, is able to open the seven-sealed scroll, which brings us to the answer of our question, which if you notice in chapter 6, you begin to have another transition. So let's read Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, then I saw, you notice the progression in what he's seeing here, then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. So what we have here is you go from chapters 4 and 5, which is in heaven, you have John seeing that only the Lamb, which is a description of Jesus, is able to open this scroll that has seven seals. So once you get to chapter 6, what you have is you have Jesus as the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, for example. He begins to break open these seals that are on a scroll. So how does this relate to the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, the first four seals correspond to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So again, John sees a scene in heaven, chapters 4 through 5. But then you begin to see where there's going to be a judgment that comes upon the earth. And it's a series of seven sealed judgments. And the answer to our question is, or are the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible? And the answer would be yes. They actually consist of the first four seals. So let's look at these. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the first seal is, of course, a white horse, if you notice. You see that uh, in chapter 6, verse 2, a white horse. Then the second seal is broken, and we see that in verses 3 and 4. And then if you draw attention to verse 4, it says a red horse. So you notice where we're going here. You have a white horse, verse 2, verse 4 is a red horse. But then we see the third seal, and the third seal in verse 5, when that one is broken, you have, notice, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So that's the third seal, the third horse, which is black. And then the last of the four horsemen, as we sometimes refer to it as, of the apocalypse is found in Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, which is, of course, corresponds with the fourth seal. So again, notice 7, verse 7 says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, John goes and he looks and he sees an ashen or pale horse, depending on your translation, the Greek gives the idea of something that is sickly. Uh, if you think of someone who is sick, they may have a pale appearance or complexion, um, something of that nature. Their ashen is some descriptions, some translations 
use that uh, the sickly pale or the pale horse um, is helpful in terms of translation. So what we have here is again the four seals correspond to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So if you've ever seen graphics on it or an image this is where this is coming from. The first seal corresponds to the white horse. Uh, I take that to be Antichrist. The second seal is a red horse depicting war. Third seal is of course the third horse, black horse, and it's famine. And then you have the fourth seal which corresponds to the fourth horse which is pale and depicts death and hell. You notice in verse 8 it refers to death in Hades. So our question, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible? And the answer would be yes. We find them in the Bible in Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. And we might could add that they are part of the early or beginning portions of the future tribulation period. Um, consisting of the first four seals. If you wanted to, you can look at the fifth seal, sixth seal, and then in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, you have the final one, which is the seventh seal. So, good question there, and the answer, of course, is yes. We find the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, as we move into the second question, for this episode, when did the manna stop for the Israelites? And so again, our second question, when did the manna stop for the Israelites? Probably familiar with, to varied degrees, the manna that the Lord provided to the Israelites. Uh, but let's find the answer to this, and then we'll kind of fill in a few blanks, but turn to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12. So most of us are probably familiar with the book of Joshua. Joshua being the one to bring the people into the promised land. Moses, I like to say, brought them up to the edge. But it was actually Joshua who brought the people into the promised land. And we'll find the answer to the question in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12. Let's read, The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land. So the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during this year. So that's the answer to the question is Joshua 5.12. That's where they actually stopped or ceased eating and receiving the manna that came to them. Uh, perhaps to help a little bit here, if you were to turn to Exodus chapter 16 and verse 35, you'll get the starting point, if you will, of when the Israelites and we can determine how long as well they received the manna. So Exodus chapter 16 and verse 35, the sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. 
So what we have here is from Exodus chapter 16, verse 35, to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12, we know that there were 40 years between the time the Israelites left Egypt and they enter into the promised land. And, of course, they had various times in which they were in need of food, but the Lord always provided for them miraculously what we sometimes think of as not just manna, but bread from heaven. And so the Lord would continue to, for 40 years, provide, but also sustain His people. So even when they wandered in the wilderness um, for all those years, even until they get settled and established there, as we saw in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12, the Lord continued to sustain and provide for His people. So one way to think of it as a timeline Exodus chapter 16, 35, he begins to provide. He continues to provide until we get to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12. The Lord's provision for his people, uh, the Lord's faithfulness, even despite the Israelites' times of unfaithfulness, very gracious of the Lord and merciful of him as well. One of the things also to consider with this before we move on is that the manna actually foreshadows, sometimes used as a phrase for a type of Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, And I said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So it stopped just as the Lord said it would, the manna when they ate of the produce of the land, in other words, of the promised land. So the Lord provided and gave provision, just as he said it would, and he sustained them until they completed and accomplished what he had purposed for them to do. And, of course, we should also remember Jesus himself as the bread of life, John 6.35. Now, for our third and final question for this episode... Pastor, what are the imprecatory psalms? They are referred to in a book on the psalms that I recently read. Let me repeat the question for you. Um, the question essentially is, what are the imprecatory psalms? This is a good question and uh, one for us to consider and to reflect on, I think, periodically is probably good as well. Uh, hopefully at the end... Uh, the application of this question you'll find helpful. One way in order to answer this question is, I think sometimes the Psalms, we think of them as these random poems sometimes. Well, one of the ways to study the Psalms, it's not the only way, is to, if you will, put them into categories. So, for example, you might take all the Psalms that are called Thanksgiving Psalms, those psalms that contain various thankfulness and uh, those sorts of things. You might also categorize the messianic psalms, those ones that looked to the Messiah that was still future in that day. Uh, and uh, sometimes the prophetic psalms, if you will, are included with that idea as well. Uh, so you have all these categories that you can put psalms in, and it's a way to study them. 
And uh, one of the, those categories, and if you have a study Bible, for instance, you'll find one of them is what's called an imprecatory psalm. That's I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-O-R-Y, imprecatory. And uh, those psalms are throughout the Scripture, and you'll find them, and you've probably read across and ran across several of them. But basically, uh, an imprecatory psalm are psalms where the author is calling on the Lord to bring judgment, destruction, wrath, those sorts of things, vindication upon the psalm, psalmist enemies. Let me read this brief definition. It comes from the MacArthur Study Bible. It says an imprecatory psalm is to invoke God's wrath and judgment against his enemies. Now there are several of these, and I'll just give you a few samples of them. Psalm 7, Psalm 35, Psalm 55, Psalm 109, Psalm 140. There are other ones, and uh, there are several of them. One of the things to consider as well when you study the Psalms is, although the categories help, sometimes you'll have a mixture of those. So, for example, you may have imprecatory elements mixed with, of course, thanksgiving, for example. But they are Psalms that I think teach a particular lesson. But uh, before we get to that, let's look at Psalm 7 and verse 6. Just so you can see this, Psalm 7 and verse 6 uh, is a psalm of David. He says in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Just one brief example of it there. You could also find this, if you will, mixed in many psalms, but the next one is Psalm 35. Psalm 35 verses 1 through 8, and David is praying for rescue from his enemies. Um, but in the first eight verses of Psalm 35, for example, it says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Notice verse 3, draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. And you can see some of the other elements in there as well. Verse 5, let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. And so in verses 1 through 8, you can see a lot of those imprecatory elements. So what you have in imprecatory psalms to try to answer the question more specifically is David is usually petitioning, as you see in Psalm 35, the Lord to deliver him, but also to bring judgment, destruction, etc. on David's enemies. One of the things I think that troubles people is they read, for instance, Psalm 23, but then they come to some of these more harsh, if you will, sayings of David or whoever the psalmist may be. But there's a particular lesson, I think, with these, and it's worth noting. And basically, I think with the imprecatory psalms, rather than acting out, David, who is typically the one who writes these, David brings his concerns, his anger, his frustration... And all of those things, he brings them to the Lord, but he also leaves them with the Lord. 
In other words, he leaves all of the revenge, the avenging, the judgment, making things right, whatever sort of synonym you want to use, he leaves those with the Lord. Perhaps said another way, let's say we get upset, we get angry about something, and we just need to vent. We should pray and point that to the Lord. He already knows it. If you think of Psalm 139, Before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. So we should confess our thoughts and uh, different frustrations, concerns to the Lord. But David does not act upon these. He leaves them with the Lord. So said another way, simply put, a lot of times the lesson with the imprecatory psalms is to take these things to the Lord, but also leave them there. We shouldn't take those things to the Lord and then turn around and act upon them. We take those things, those worries, concerns, leave them with the Lord, and leave Him to make the judgments for Him to deal with and make things right. This is similar to, for us, Romans 12, 9. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. So, this is a really good question. What are the imprecatory psalms? So, the imprecatory psalms, we would say something to the extent of, they are when the psalmist says to God, Take and make judgment, bring destruction, bring wrath upon those who are my enemies. But as I said, he leaves them there. He leaves those concerns, those frustrations, those angers, he leaves them with the Lord. And he lets the Lord do the vengeance, as we saw, for instance, in Romans 12, 9. So I would encourage you as you read those, to remember when you get frustrated or angry about something not to act upon it but rather take that to the Lord and leave it with him I think we'd be better off if we did that so great question in terms of those imprecatory Psalms well thank you for taking time to listen to episode 41 until next time may the Lord bless you and keep you thank you so much